Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 1st, 2022. It is currently 1036 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I'm I'm kicking myself right now. I really am. I, I have made, I mean, it's already the first day of the year. And I'm already regretting, a I'm already regretting a decision that I made. I don't know what I was thinking. I really don't. Sometimes I come up with an idea. I'm like, oh, this will be a good idea. And then, you know, a few hours later, I'm like, wait, that was a stupid idea. Who came up with that idea? And I'll realize, oh, it, I, I came up with that idea. It, it, oh, I, I, I hope. I hope, <laughs> I hope I'm not going to regret this more than I may be already regretting it. Sometimes I turn on the microphone and I open my mouth and I realize, wait, what, what was I thinking? That's going to lead now. Okay. If I, if I do that, then I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. And that's going to take, I don't know, that's going to turn into 9,000 hours of live broadcast and. There's about 9,000 other things I need to do that also require 9,000 hours of, of live broadcasting time. There's only so many hours in a day, but here I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. We have to talk about it. Yes, we are going to have to begin a mini-series on the subject of church and state. Now, just immediately that tells you, uh-oh, that's going to be controversial, uh-oh, you're going to tick off about 50% of your audience. Look, this this is a no-win situation. No matter what I, I say, I'm going to tick off about 50% of the people who are listening to me. I'll probably lose listeners and subscribers. And I don't want to do that, but at the same time, sometimes you have to talk about what is important. So let me explain what happened. I think I was here at the church. If I'm, tr- I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the timeline, but if I remember correctly, I think I was live on the air in the middle of a live broadcast, and I got a notification that the new issue of the Free Grace Broadcaster was now available. And the new issue of the Free Grace Broadcaster was called Church and State. Here are the articles in that issue of the Free Grace Broadcaster. Of the civil magistrate, looking at the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1677 and 1689. Magistrate and church, powers ordained by God. How should man be governed? God ordained force. God, government, and authority. True obedience and civil and religious oppression. The duty of lesser magistrates. Appeal to the emperor. Appeal to nobles and magistrates, government and liberty, the kingdom of Christ. Those are all the articles in the latest issue of the Free Grace Broadcaster, issue 258. It is entitled Church and State. Now, if you would like a free copy of it, go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section, You'll have to go down a few articles, I think, and you'll see the link and just download it. It's absolutely free and please use it, consider it and think about it. Now, again, it's, it's going to be controversial, but I feel that we need to talk about the issues 
related to church and state. Because I think the controversies are just going to continue to grow as we move into 2022. And I believe, listen to me what I'm about to say, I believe the biggest problem in regards to church and state and regards to so many of the issues going on is the fact that many Christians do not look at these issues from a truly biblical perspective. They look at it from a perspective that is... It, it, that it comes from a different source. In other words, they don't look at the world from the from the from the scriptures. They look at the world from a different perspective and a different source. We talked about this in our discussion about just war doctrine. What's going on with Russia, Ukraine, and the just war doctrine? But I'm going to bring some of those those same points to the beginning of this because I think it's so important. Th- this is what I've art- articulated in that podcast episode, all right? I'm going to grab my, my journal here. I believe that a large portion of the church, at least here in the United States of America, I cannot speak for churches outside of the United States of America because I know the church in America, okay? So that's what I know. That's what I keep up with. That's what I listen to. That's what I pay attention to. Uh, again, and I would just tell you, turn on American Family Radio Monday through Friday, starting at about 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and you will, and 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 I can prove what I am saying because it, sh- it just shows up over and over and over and over and over and over again. Many within the Christian church in America look at the world, I believe, not from a theological and biblical perspective, but from perspectives that derive from this, from politics, a political view. They look at the world through the lens of politics. So whatever is going on, what they begin to say sounds like, well, what people and their political camp are saying. So in other words, in many conservative Christian churches, that their, their, their theology sounds good. They've got great, a great theology statement of faith. They've got the great, right doctrine. They seem to be a very good biblical conservative church, but you start listening to them talk about things going on in the world. And it sounds like they're getting their talking points, not from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but from the Republican Party. They sound like that they're more influenced by Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck, and Sean Hannity than they are the Apostle Paul. They they sound like that they are more influenced by a political ideology than they are from the inspired word of God. And, And that is a problem. So whatever the issue is, when it comes to church, state, especially when it comes to things related to, I don't know, uh, you know, public health mandates because of a pandemic, immediately what you hear is not Bible. What you hear is politics or even worse. Well, we'll talk, we'll add it. We'll add another one here to this list. All right. So th- there's a polit- a political way of thinking. And here's what happens. They start thinking politically and then they are more influenced by all of the political things they listen to. So they find themselves kind of in this echo chamber, right? I view the world through this political lens, and then I listen to a lot of political talk, which confirms what my political belief system, I'm not going to listen to anything that challenges that. And then they just think that way, think that way, think that way. And so many times when you bring something up in relation to what's going on in the country, and you want to try to argue for a biblical or theological perspective, they will revert back to a political, and here's what's even worse. They'll take their political view, and they will lay that on top of the scriptures, and now they read the scriptures through the filter of their political ideology. This corrupts scripture. 
We don't read scripture through the lens of our politics. We read scripture, figure out what scripture has to say, and then we judge our political leanings based off the scriptures. We don't we don't read we don't read the scriptures in light of our politics. We read the scriptures, try to understand what the scriptures say by the words that they use, try to understand it in its historical context, its context. Then we take that and then we judge our political leanings. And guess what? If our political leanings go against scripture, we reject our political leanings. We repent of them. We cast them aside. It's scripture first. It's theology first. Okay, so so that's one major issue is people look at everything from a political perspective. Another one, they look at it from a nationalistic perspective. What do I mean about that? They look at it from an, uh, an America, again, I'll speak about America, America first. It's about America. It's about America. It's about what's best for the country. It's about make America great again. And I've said that we need to start selling a shirt. Let's make theology preeminent again. Let's make theology the priority again. Let's make theology first again. It shouldn't be America first. It should be theology first. It shouldn't be make America great again. It should make uh, theology prominent again. Make uh, theology the priority again. Make theology great again. We need Christians who think theologically, not nationalistic. It shouldn't be America, 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 America. It should be no, 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 no. Theology, 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 theology. And I specifically mentioned this in light of the just war doctrine and how many Christians see, see the subject of war from a nationalistic perspective. What's, it, what's best for America's interest? Well, what, no, let's look at it more from a theological perspective. What's the moral way to, to, to look at law? What's, what's the, a just way to look at, at our law, to look at uh, war? Okay, so I, I want to go, I'm trying to prevent myself from re-preaching these again, but they're, they're just so critical. So some people look at the world from a political standpoint, some from a very nationalistic perspective. It's America, what's best for the country, the country, the country, the country, the country, the country, the country. All, all they see is the red, white, and blue uh, instead of seeing the word of God. Now, and then they try to read the scriptures through a nationalistic view, right? I, I've literally had Christians, you'll say something, say, but the constitution says, and I'm like, wait a minute, you do realize Bible trumps constitution. You, you, you do realize that. And people, and I've even had some Christians go so far to say, to almost argue that the constitution was inspired by God. I know I, not, that is a minority, minority, minority view, but when you have Christians who start going that direction, you need to run for your absolute life. Okay, so they look at it from a geographical point of view. What do I mean by that? In other words, the, where, they're, where they look at the world through the lens of where they live. For example, I live here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, West Texas to be somewhat specific. Ovalo, Texas, if you want to look it up on, you know, Google Earth. Okay, in the middle of nowhere. Well, in this area, you've got a very conservative, very like pro-gun, you know, just a lot of certain perspectives that come out here in West Texas. Well, a lot of people grow up, they take that way that they grew up in this area and they just kind of put it on the pages of scripture. They kind of read it into scripture. So you get this weird thing They'll have Christians who maybe who, who grew up and live in the UK 
and how they see certain social issues is radically different than how Christians who grew up in Texas, how they see social issues. And I'm always baffled by that because it doesn't matter where you grow up. You should see social issues through the lens of scripture, not reading the scripture through the lens of of your upbringing. Your geography should not change what God's word says, but like it or not, it, it, it impacts how people read it, right? Personal. Then, then we just have to realize a lot of people have personal ideas and personal preferences, and they see the world through that, their personal perspective. I said uh, from a theological or scriptural perspective. Family. A lot of times it's the way they were raised, and they will see the world that way. We, in other words, there's all these perspectives that people see the world through those lenses. But as Christians, we need to see everything through the lens of theology and the Bible. And this really comes into play. And how do we understand the the power and the authority of the state and the responsibility of Christians or the church to said power? How do we understand the power and the authority of the state and what is the responsibility of the church to that authority and to that power? Not from your political perspective, whether you're for big government, small government, whether you are Republican or Democrat, none of that should matter because as a Christian, it's not about Republicans. It's not about Democrats. It's not about big government, small government. It's not about whatever I think about all of these issues. It's about what do the scriptures say? What do they seem to indicate? If I take the totality of scripture together, what, what, what should I, should be the guiding principles? When it comes to these subjects, well, Free Grace Broadcaster is going to spend, in a sense, the month talking about the church and state. So we are going to spend, we're going to do a mini series talking about many of these issues. And let me, again, I cannot stress this. Do not contact me accusing of me being a liberal, accusing me being a Marxist, a communist, or whatever little clever names you want to call me. Because in many cases, all you're demonstrating is not a willingness to actually engage in the subject from a biblical theological perspective, but you are so committed to a certain political ideology. You're so committed to a nationalistic ideology that you are blinded to the Bible and theology. I'm trying to look at it from a biblical perspective, looking at the totality of scripture and seeing what we can learn from it. There's going to be agreement here. There's going to be disagreement. Just try to remember, if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, what we should be focusing on is God's word. And I, I have to throw this in there. I have to. I, di- I don't have it in my journal, but I should have put it down. One of the ways many Christians see things today, not only, not, not only do they see it from a political perspective, a nationalistic perspective, a geographical perspective, a personal perspective, and a family perspective, they have a tendency, especially within the American church, to see things from a conspiratorial perspective, where they start sounding like they're listening to Alex Jones, again, more than they are reading scripture. And I've given example, example after example of this, the influence of QAnon on many churches. I've heard prominent pastors start saying things, and I'm like, that... Sounds like it came directly from Q. That does not sound like it came from from Jesus. It came from Q. And when that starts happening, it's sad. When when they start sharing fraudulent information, questionable information, suspect information from the pulpit, 
from their Christian podcast. At that point, everything falls apart. And so many of the issues that I've seen dealing with, especially with the pandemic, what I have seen is what is the, the, the motivating driving force of their position about church and state in regards to a pandemic really hinges on first and foremost, their buying into conspiratorial ideas. In other words, the conspiracy, they say, basically because it's a conspiracy, basically because it's all a lie, it's all a hoax, then I don't have to do A, B, C, D, E because it's all a lie and it's all a hoax. And you're like, well, well, the scripture doesn't say if it's all a hoax, do no, it, it, it doesn't say that. Uh, but not only that, then it just, well, then you get into the whole conspiratorial thinking. To me, the issue becomes your conspiratorial thinking than it does anything else. But yeah, we, we could go all day on that. But I've talked about conspiracies inf- infiltrating the church for years and years and years. I warned about QAnon from the very early stages of Q. I started trying to warn, I knew this. I was warning people about the influence of Alex Jones in churches way years, almost 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Like Alex Jones is promoting his material to Christians. And I had pastor go, why are you wasting your time? Yeah, look at the church today. Look how much the conspiracy world has influenced the evangelical world. Sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. See, is that that Christianity or is that, is that, oh, I can't tell the difference between Q and Christians, Alex Jones and Christians. Where does it, where does Christianity begin here? Well, that that is majorly problematic as well. So here's what we're going to do. The free, uh, the free Grace Broadcaster and their first article wants us to consider the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 in the chapter that deals with civil magistrates. Guess what? I have it right here. It is chapter, let me see here. I got to find it. It is chapter... Uh, see, that's Christian liberty. That's religious worship. That's uh, Oh, here we go. Chapter 24 of the civil magistrate. It has three paragraphs. Three paragraphs of the civil magistrate. And that's what we're going to be looking at. I'm going to be looking at the 1689 LBC or the London Baptist Confession. The, the London Baptist Confession is one of the uh, one of the sources of doctrine and theology for our uh, when I say the Bible is the main source of doctrine and theology for this church, but we we use the London Baptist Confession of Faith as a major document for this church. We also use the creeds. We, you can you can look at our church website of all the things that we use. But the the London Baptist Confession of Faith, we look at it, we study it frequently. I quote from it frequently. And so we're going to, and so it's awesome that the uh, the Free Grace Broadcaster wants to start. They're looking at the subject of the church and state or the state and the church well, by looking at the London Baptist Confession because I'm somewhat familiar with this. So we're going to read it and see what they have to say. Are you ready? Here we go. Chapter 24 of the Civil Magistrate. God, the Supreme Lord, and king, okay, hang on, I'm, I'm having uh, get notes popping up here. Okay, there we go. All right, God, I, 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 brand new iPad. So it's telling me how to, look, the article that you're currently reading, you can save it as a note. 
get, get started and we'll show you how. Well, thank you, uh, iPad, for I already know how to do that. But thank you very much for showing me how I can save this as a, as a note. All right, here we go. Chapter 24 of the Civil Magistrate. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world. Let's stop right here. So as it begins by talking about the civil magistrate, it's it as it begins to, to talk about the civil magistrate, it's interesting that it be, that it really begins by emphasizing and reminding us of the supremacy of God. It is God who is supreme over all the world. It is God who is king over all the world. God is the ultimate authority. God is the one who is supreme. God is the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. We could go through all of his attributes. The, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We're going to talk about civil magistrates. We're going to talk about civil authority. We're going to talk about human government. But before we do that, we always have to realize as a Christian who we see as supreme, and it is God. He is over all. Now, Obviously, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I would obviously look at things from a very reformed perspective, and I do believe in God's total sovereignty, right? Now, a lot of people want to say God is in charge, right? It's, it's really, now we could get, get into a serious theological issue here, and I know I'm going to offend about half of the audience as well, but I find it interesting that some people who are very much committed to a free will perspective, right, almost a semi-Pelagian kind of view, somewhat of an Arminian view or a mixture of a lot of different things. You know, God would never violate man's free will. God will never violate man's free will. God is a gentleman. He will not impose himself on your will. Okay, they say that, but then they will say, God is in charge of all the, all the world. Well, if he won't impose himself on anybody's will or violate anyone's free will, then is he really in charge of anything? Hey, God's all powerful and he's in charge, but he won't violate anybody's will. All right, so so he's letting everyone do exactly what they want and he won't do anything to impose or stop it. So who's ultimately in charge? Who's all, Would that be God in charge or would that be us in charge? You can say, well, God's in charge, but he's now giving us the ability to be in charge. Like that, that gets into a lot of theological discussions we've talked about in, in many, many of those issues in our sermons on Romans chapter eight. But okay, here we go. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. So this is very key. God has ordained government. He has put them in place. He has put them in power. So as a Christian, when I see civil authority, I see the authority as being put there by God. That's the source of the authority. The source of that authority, the source of that government isn't because, well, a bunch of those, you know, stupid liberals voted this person into office. A bunch, slow down. God put them there. Now, it goes on to say that God put them there for his own glory. Well, that makes sense. He does all things for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword. Now let's stop right here. This becomes, this gets into a lot of difficult concepts here. 
We've been talking a lot about this in regards to uh, the doctrine of reprobation, and and we kind of took a detour from reprobation in our study in Romans chapter 8 and really got into some of these bigger questions about God's sovereignty and power. So let's just think about, we have to think this through. Here's God. He ordains earthly government. He puts it into place. All right, let's say we just go with this concept that we believe this to be true, right? God put them into place. Now, whatever government he puts into place, you and I know that he knows exactly what that government is going to do, correct? I mean, obviously he has to know because God is all-knowing unless we go with some kind of open theism and begin to destroy the knowledge of God and that God doesn't really know. He knows. He, so here's a government. He puts it into place. He knows exactly what it's going to do. Now, he knows some of those governments that are put into place are not going, in a sense, do public good based off maybe what we would define public good. But let's just think about this. Is it possible that God can put a government in power that does things that we may not think are good, but God believes that they are, they are doing the good that he wants. No, good is defined by what? In other words, think of good as fulfilling God's purpose, not us defining good. Now, this raises some serious questions that I don't necessarily like, and I don't doubt that you want to like, you're, you're going to like, and I know it's going to immediately cause controversy, and I know I'm not supposed to raise these kinds of questions because it makes Christians very uncomfortable, but I'm going to raise them, all right, because we have to. And we're going to talk about church and state. You see why I'm kicking myself? See, if I would have just avoid, avoided this topic, and there's a million other things I could talk about, then I could keep myself out of this kind of trouble. But here we are, the first day of 2022, and I'm about to walk right into it. I'm about to walk right into the minefield, and things are going to start blowing up, and I'm going to lose a couple. I'm going to I'm going to lose both legs, and I'm probably going to be mortally wounded before this is over. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? All right, God is in charge of everything, and He ordains the earthly powers for his glory, and he says, for the public good. I, I, I struggle with this because there's plenty of powers that have been established. Did, did they do the public good or did they inflict pain, suffering, really bad things? Well, we definitely know that there are governments who've been established that did really horrible things. I mean, I know it's easy to always run to this, but it's just the go-to example. Hitler. The Nazis. Now, now, just think this through. Who put them in power? Well, God put them in power, right? Did they do the public good? I would say they did evil. And I believe that we should call it evil and it should be condemned for what they did. But God knew that when he put them into power. Now, this is that weird world that we, we have to traffic in as Christians. An all-knowing, all-powerful God put something into place knowing that the evil and the horrible things they were going to do. But God put them there. But yet, their actions are still condemned. 
Christ it was obviously, it was foreordained, predetermined by the eternal decrees of God that Christ would be crucified, yet the people who carried that action out are condemned for their actions. And we can get into secondary causes. We can get into all of those issues. Just make sure that's a, something that's really hard. And I've said it so many times. To me, the most difficult verse of the entire Bible is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's an all-powerful God who can intervene at any time to do whatever he wants, who also is all-knowing, but he creates a world knowing exactly what is going to befall his creation. He knows sin is going to enter in. In fact, he created the very being, Satan, who would be the source of bringing that sin ultimately into everything. He knew that when he created Adam and Eve, that they would fall. And then he allowed the world to continue knowing there was going to be death and suffering and pain. Nobody likes to say that, and I know you're not supposed to say that in church, but I can't just... When I read Genesis 1-1, there's a part of me going, no, 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 don't, 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 don't create, don't create. Do you, have you seen what's going to happen? Let me tell you, don't do it. Don't. It's like when you're reading a book and you're like, no, don't open that door. Don't open that door. Or you're watching a movie. Don't, don't, don't go down into the basement. Don't go down there because you already know what's going to happen. Well, when I read Genesis 1-1, I already know what's going to happen. Pain, suffering, but God still created, knowing all of those things were going to happen. And even though he has the power to intervene, and at times he exercised said power, because in the Bible we have him intervening in some situations, right? He intervenes to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. There's times he steps, he stepped in to stop Sarai from basically having relations with another, with another man, because Abram said, hey, tell them that you're not my wife. Tell them you're my sister. He ste- God stepped in and stopped that situation. But in other situations, he did not ste- step in and stop. He didn't stop Abram from having relations with Hagar. There's times he intervenes. There's times he doesn't. Why not? Why not? Raises questions. So when you get to government, you get to, the minute we say God put it into power, We got to know that he put it into power, knowing exactly what that government was going to do with said power, whether good or bad. That's just, that's just something you have to deal with. Am I, there's no easy answers to figuring that out. I know that many pastors will be like, it's not that complicated. Well, you can pretend that it's not that complicated. These are tough questions. And if it wasn't, if it was not complicated, there wouldn't have been so many struggles and problems for 2,000 years of church history trying to figure all of this out. Well, wait, okay, so God put it into power. However, God knew what they were going to do. They're doing that. What do I do? You can say, that. well, they're not doing what God purposed for them to do. Well, you could argue that they're not doing what God purposed for them to do, but God put them there knowing that they were not going to do what he purposed for them to do. So he could have put another form of government there who would have been more inclined to do what he purposed for them to do. So then why, so are they not fulfilling God's eternal decree? Are they, are they going against God's eternal decree? And if they're going against God's eternal decree, then is God really in charge? I mean, you, you can go all day with these kinds of very difficult questions. So God, the supreme Lord and king of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for defense, 
and encouragement of them that do good and for the punishment of evil doers. He put them in power and he gives them the authority to use the sword, which is an instrument, I think we could say, of to inflict pain, suffering, and death. That the government has the power to, or is, or is ordained by God to bring about death. That's, that's hard to consider, hard to think about. Now, they, the scripture they give for this is obviously Romans chapter 13. I mean, you knew that, I knew that, Romans chapter 13. That's my pencil rolling across the table. I know that's not very professional, but the fact is I had a pencil in my Bible, and when I opened it, the pencil fell out. I mean, Romans chapter 13. All right, here we go. I know, I know. Isn't, it, isn't this a nice, happy message for the first day of 2022? Now, this is the kind of thing we talk about here on Theology Central. So some of you are not shocked at all by this. Others who will see this will be like, what in the world am I listening to? Okay, but, but that's all right. Here we go. Romans chapter 13, verse one. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, right here, we have just a very specific command. Let every soul, let every person be subject, submit to the higher powers. Now, the higher powers here are referring to earthly governments. And you're going to see that here in just a minute. How do I know that? Because for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. So we start back with that just basic premise. Whatever power I see, God ordained it. God put it into place. So my responsibility is I submit to it. Listen, not, this is very important, not because of the, of whatever I think about that earthly power, whether I respect it, whether I like it. It's, 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 it's not even about submitting to the earthly power. I'm submitting to God because God is the one who ordained that power. God ordained it. So it's not about submitting necessarily to men or to to per- persons who have take a position of power earthly, I'm submitting to God. I've got to see my submission as an act of, of worship to God. I am, I am acknowledging God is all powerful. I'm acknowledging God is, is the one in charge. That's what I'm doing. When I submit to government, it's not because I'm showing what I think about the government. It's what I think about God. My attitude of submission to earthly authority reflects my attitude towards God. When the Bible tells a wife to submit herself to her husband, it's not her demonstrating her attitude about her husband. She's demonstrating her attitude towards God. When the Bible tells a child to respect, honor, and obey their parents, it's not about the child demonstrating their their thoughts about their parents. They're demonstrating their attitude and thoughts about God. That's what we have to get, that we've got to just get to this. This is so important. Earthly authority is put there by God. My actions, my words, my attitudes, my thoughts about that earthly authority really demonstrates my attitudes, my actions, and my thoughts about God. This is one of the things that I I sometimes get so frustrated with when I listen, say, to American Family Radio, they'll be on there and they'll, they're, you know, they'll, they'll be making, they'll give these little cute derogatory names to, 
you know, Nancy Pelosi. They'll they'll make fun or mock Joe Biden's, you know, mental uh, ability right now because of his age or whatever is going on. They will uh, uh, AOC. They will mock her. I mean, they they got these little names. I don't even remember all of the names that they will refer to her. They'll make fun of uh, the vice president's laugh. You just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it's just it just comes across like little kids on the playground mocking and making fun of other people. And I'm like, you know, you're mocking and making fun of power that was put there by God. You're mocking people who are creating the image of God. Like your whole attitude is wrong. Our, our, our attitude towards earthly authority is really about our attitude towards the authority of God. Now, now, whatever you think about what government can or cannot do, we, we should all be able to agree with that. God put them in power. God knew exactly what they were going to do. I will say that God decreed it. it it's a part of God's eternal decrees, right? Or you could say decrees or eternal decree. You get to a discussion, do we view God's eternal decree as, as plural or just one decree that involves everything? We talked about a little bit of this in our study in Romans 8. Won't, I won't get into all of that right now. But I think it's very important that we start with the idea that my I need to demonstrate an attitude towards earthly authority that reflects a correct attitude towards God. Does your does your thinking, your attitude towards earthly earthly authority ref, reflect a correct attitude? towards the authority and power of God. I'll be honest with you. At times, mine is, is all messed up. There's times I get upset at earthly authority. I get, I get mad at earthly authority. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to, I want to rebel. And I got to remember that authority was put there by God. Doesn't always mean the authority is right. Doesn't always mean that what the authority is doing is correct. Just means I have to see that it was put there by God. I have to start with that. That's the starting point, right? That's the starting point. God put it there, knowing what they were going to do. It's not like God put the authority there and like, oh, what just happened? I didn't know they were going to do that. That's where, now I know this is from a philosophical standpoint. If I was in a philosophy class, I know immediately the philosophy class would be like, well, your God is messed up because your God has put some really messed up human authorities and power throughout human history. Wouldn't you agree? And I would have to say from a human perspective, I completely agree. God has put some really messed up people in power. Some really messed up people in power and I don't understand it, but it's not for me to understand. At least from a biblical perspective, we'll put it this way, from a historical perspective, that earthly power existed and did horrible things. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, whether you are a believer or not a believer, you have to agree that that human authority existed and did horrible things. At least from a biblical perspective, somehow, at least I think that there was a purpose in it. There was a reason for it. I may not understand it, but God did. God, not, not only did God not only does God understand it, he knows exactly what he's doing it and was involved in doing it. So I know that there's a divine eternal purpose in it, even though I may not understand it, even though I may not like it. This, this reminds me, see here, I could be wrong here. Let me look. 
all of a sudden it started making me think of one of the minor prophets. Let me look here. I've got to look at this first. When you do something impromptu, sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. Give me one second here. I've got to find it. I've got to look at it. I believe it takes at the very beginning here. All right. Um, Okay, let me look here. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, I I don't think it's in this chapter. I don't know which chapter it was. I'll have to find it because there's a there's a there's a section in one of the minor prophets that think that really reflect this. I'm not going to mention it now because I don't want to get the uh, I don't want to get the uh, information wrong. But let's go back to Romans 13. I believe, I, uh, I almost know where it is, but I don't, I don't want to keep looking for it live on the air. We'll, we'll definitely talk about it next time, but go to Romans chapter 13, back to Romans chapter 13. So at least we start with this concept. All the powers that be are ordained by God. And so my, my attitude towards that is an attitude towards God. We all can just agree on that. I don't think that there's nothing con- convoluted about that. There's nothing complicated about that. It's simple. It's straightforward. Verse two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now that's, that's straightforward. God put the power there. You resist that power. You're resisting God. So your issue is going to be with God. That's, that's pretty straightforward, right? God put the power there. You resist it. You're resisting the, you're resisting God's plan. You're resisting God's purpose. You're resist, don't do that. Now, I mean, that's the straight, basic, simple rule. Now, what immediately people want to do is go, but, 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 wait, 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 exceptions, exceptions, exceptions. I need my list of exceptions. When do I not have to obey? When do I not have to obey? Instead of worrying about when you don't have to obey, Worry first and foremost about having a correct understanding of earthly authority. It's put there by God and that we, our attitude towards that earthly authority reflects our attitude towards God. And if we resist that authority, we are resisting the power of God. Just have those basic facts down before you start looking for the exemption clause and the exceptions that you can get out of it. It's like a teenager going, okay, now, when do I have to obey you, mom and dad? Because there's got to be some situations where I don't have to obey you. And I want to know when I can disobey. When do I not have to submit to my husband? I need the list of times when I don't have to submit. And we first start with, wait a minute, what is my, who put, what is my view of earthly authority? It was put there by God. My attitude towards it reflects my attitude towards God. And I am called to submit to it. And if I resist it, I'm resisting God. Those are just basic principles. Basic principles when coming to this subject. No matter what else we want to say, these are just the basic facts. And now immediately I'm going to get emails going, but, 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 it's going to be like, all, and it's like, no, no, you focus on what the text is saying first and foremost before we start coming out with all of the, 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 the ways to get out of it. All right. That, that, that's just not the way we do things. All right. Romans chapter 13, verse three. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shall have praise of the same. Now, the, the way it should work is the government should not be a terror to good works. The government should not be against and persecuting those who are doing good. That is what it should do. However, we know that many of the powers that have been put in place by God don't follow that rule. Who put the, the leadership of China in power? Oh, God. Who put uh, the leaders uh, in power in many Islamic Muslim countries? God. What do, they, what do they do? Oh, they persecute those who are who are followers of Christ. They may persecute and kill. Who put them in power? Now, I'm not saying it justifies their actions, but we have to at least still understand who put them there. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. I want to pick up the London Baptist Confession of Faith again, but let me read one more verse four. For he is the minister of God to thee, for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, you could argue, well, wait a minute. What happens when the government violates its purpose? Does that then give me like, well, okay, you're good. You're good to go. You don't have to submit anymore. That's what some people go to. So as long as they can find, well, see, the government did evil here. The government did wrong here. Well, I just want to make it very clear. This is I just got to make sure we, we think this through. There's not an earthly government that's ever existed that always does things good or right. There's not a government on the planet that ever does anything right, even here in the United States of America. All right, so paragraph two of the London Baptist Confession. Well, before we go to paragraph two, let me just say this. One of the most frustrating things about Romans 13, in fact, we may have to just stop here in Romans chapter 13. One of the most frustrating things I've experienced, and I've watched this take place, and it's just been bizarre to me. When I was a brand new Christian, Romans 13 was usually taught in a very direct way straightforward way. Hey, God put the people in uh, the authority and power. Our job is to submit to it as much as humanly possible. There may come some situations where we have to disobey, but those are very extreme and very specific. And we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But the right in the meantime, we need to have a correct attitude and response to government because God put it in power. It, really, there was very little controversy about Romans chapter 13. For the most part, there wasn't much controversy. I started seeing a little bit of controversy in the 1990s, especially when you had the rise of uh, a lot of the anti, well, I want to, I want to, I'll say pro-life organizations that were very opposed to abortion and rightly so opposing to abortion. But you started hearing some really like interesting thinking going on in the 1990s, right? Okay. So abortion is murder. Murder is a sin, and those who murder someone should be killed. So abortionists should be killed. They should receive capital punishment. They should die for what they have done. And this led some, very, very, very small number, to do things like, I don't know, shoot and kill abortion doctors, blow up 
abortion clinics. This this started getting pretty, uh, it, put it this way, it reached such a level that even a contemporary Christian artist back in the 1990s, uh, maybe it may have actually wrote the song in the ni- late 1980s, um, I blew up the clinic real good by Steve Taylor. In fact, let me pull up the lyrics. It was to it was trying to use a little satire and sarca- sarcasm. The Christian world was not uh, was not ready for it. Um, see, I blew up the clinic real good. All right, I blew up the clinic. Hang on, I blew up the clinic real good. Lyrics. Here we go. Um, yeah, by Steve Taylor. And I don't know what year. Oh, 1990. No, it was released in 1987. Okay. It was, I predict, 1990. The album was really a, a lot of like what he was seeing coming in, in, in the new decade. Uh, but um, it was released in 1987. Wow. I can't remember. Man, I was a young Christian at the time. All right. So here we go. I blew up the clinic real good. I'll never forget when I heard this. I was like, wait, what is going on? I have the road in my blood. I drive a custom van. I play the tunes. I'm the neighborhood ice cream man, so don't you mess this boy around. The other day when the clinic had its local debut, some chicks were trying to pick it. The doctor threatened to sue. Now, I don't care if it's a baby or a tissue blob, but if we run out of youngsters, I'll be out of a job. So I did my duty cleaning up the neighborhood. I blew up the clinic real good. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot. A lot of sarcasm here, a lot of satire here, but it really demonstrated that there was something going on within the parts of the Christian world, and he was trying to mock a little bit of it and call and really question people's motives here because here he's an ice cream man, and so if he doesn't really care if these babies are babies or not, but if they don't grow up, he, do, he loses customers for his ice cream truck, right? So it's using a little satire, but it's calling into question, wait a minute, I thought we, as Christians, we believed a certain way. Now we're going to blow up clinics. Now we're going to kill abortion doctors. But many of those people would have justified it by saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. And this is kind of how the way the argument went. The Bible says that if you kill someone, you are to be killed. The shedding of human blood requires your blood to be shed. They kill people. Nobody is holding them accountable. The government is supposed to, but the government now is so corrupt the government is not no longer doing its job. We don't have to submit to that government. The government is supporting the abortion of babies. The government is illegitimate. So if the government won't bear the sword, we will. So is this like, well, the government's bad, so we can do what the government won't do. We don't have to submit to the government. We don't have to listen to the government. The government's bad. And so I want to make it very clear that if you go with that idea that if the government doesn't do right, you can just immediately dismiss the government, then nobody should be following any of the rules of the government. Just say here in the United States of America, where a government has defended and supported the abortion of babies. So then you could argue, well, then I, I shouldn't have to follow any of the rules. I shouldn't have to pay my taxes. There were Christian, there were uh, at least I know one Christian ministry where the guy did not pay his taxes. And I, I think he still may be in prison because basically like the government's not legitimate. The government's not legitimate. I don't have to follow the rules. You got to be, that's a slippery slope you go down when you start that kind of thinking. So what, what's blown my mind is that 
for the most part, Romans 13 was kind of viewed a certain way, but there were these situations that would arise where people would find a way like, nope, Romans 13 doesn't apply here. Romans 13 doesn't apply. So I can, I can violate the rules. I can violate the rules. I can violate the rules. And many times what changed people's perception of Romans 13 was what was going on in culture. So think about it this way. You become a teenager. You become a teenager. You're 13, 14. You grow, you're 15. Now you're 16, 17. And you realize that you have this strong desire to have physical relations with someone of the opposite sex, right? You have this strong desire to be kissing, touching, physical relations. But then you realize that the Bible seems to condemn fornication. But now because you have this new desire and this new situation, you start finding a way, well, how far can I go before it's a sin? Can we do this and this? Well, what if we really love one another and if we're going to get married, I mean, then then we're already married in our heart. So that, that it, it shouldn't, and I've heard teenagers come up with every known justification in the world to say that what they're doing is not sin. I probably came up with plenty of, of ideas in my own mind as a Christian teenager trying to justify certain things. Whenever we allow situation or circumstances to motivate us to try to find a loophole in the scripture, that's a bad sign. And I feel like for, for, for most, Romans 13 was never that controversial until the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, it was like, wait, 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 Romans 13 doesn't apply because the government, the government now is doing bad. I'm like, wait, the same government? So now, now the government, that we don't have to follow the government now, but that's the same government that invaded an entire country because of supposed weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist. And how many people died? Uh, the same government that has supported abortion, the same government that is saying that gay marriage is okay. So, so wait a minute. So now all of a sudden, now the government's crossed the line. Now the government has crossed the line. Now it's Now we just disobey. All these other things didn't matter, but now this matters. Now, is it because we, we found a loophole or is it because now we didn't like the rules? Oh, and now I'm going to be really skeptical. Or is it because now government is doing things that our political affiliation no longer agrees with? Is it because of our politics or is it because of Romans 13? I've heard some of the most bizarre interpretations of Romans 13 since the pandemic has begun that at times I'm absolutely dumbfounded. Someone emailed me. I don't know if it was their church or a church that they were visiting where the pastor preached Romans 13 and says that that authority is not referring to the authority of the government, that Romans 13 is about the government of the church. You are to submit to the church. Now that's frightening because that would say that the church now bears the sword. That could lead to some really messed up ideas. So the the church can now execute capital punishment. I mean, that's frightening beyond all comprehension. I've found out that Romans 13 means you only submit to godly government. 
That's the only kind of government you submit to. When the government is doing what the Bible says, then you submit to it. I will argue at what point, which earthly government has ever done what the Bible says? I can give you, I mean, the, the, the United States, just think of the, of the government of the United States from its inception. Okay. So we, we've had slavery. I, what, how we handled the Native Americans. I mean, do we even need to go through all of that? I mean, we've had so many just absolutely Jim Crow laws, crazy things that's happened. The, and abortion. I mean, the, the whole LGBTQ though. I mean, you would argue all day that the, the government has violated scripture time and time and time and time and time and time again. Uh, uh, declaring pornography is a part of free speech. We could go on and on and on and on and on and on. He would say, well, none of that is biblical. Well, exactly. So then we should never follow the government. So if you take that to its logical conclusion, we'll never obey the government. So what I just know this, when Paul wrote Romans 13, the government in place at that time wasn't a great government. So, the church and state document of the free grace broadcaster, the, the issue of the free grace broadcaster, they want us to start right there with the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And the London Baptist Confession of Faith establishes some pretty basic, simple rules. God is in charge. God puts earthly governments in charge. God is the one who put them there. God gives them a purpose that they're supposed to follow. And we are supposed to submit to that earthly government and that our attitude towards that earthly government really reflects our attitude towards God because God is the one who put there. And if we resist that earthly power, we are resisting God. Those are some basic ideas. Now, here's what we're going to do because I'm out of time. Uh, at, if you go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net, a listener contacted me. And sent me a link to an article in regards to Romans chapter 13. The article is, if I can find it here, if I can go to my blog post. I got to view website. Okay, hang on. I'm going to go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section. Romans 13, reading an abused text of scripture rightly. All right, this is how the article Begins. Let me click on it. Okay. I'm going to click on the article. Here's what the article says Introduction. The study of Romans 13 rests upon a crucial presupposition. Without context, words can mean anything and everything and therefore mean nothing. It is only through the influence of context that words. Phrases, sentences, and paragraphs are endowed with significance. Now, I do agree that context is critical in understanding anything. It's a basic hermeneutical rule. Context, 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 context. So, here's the question. The context, obviously, would have to be Romans chapter 12. What in Romans chapter 12, leading up to Romans 13, and maybe what is following those verses in Romans 13, what do you find there? that should dramatically change how you interpret Romans chapter 13, right? They go on to say, although this concept seems simple and justified enough, it is often forgotten within the field of biblical exegesis. Due to influences as simple as our uh, versification of the biblical text, 
as complex as the historical theological developments, which have dictated how we teach and interpret the scriptures. Many exegetes, wittingly or unwittingly, ignore context when trying to ascertain the meaning of the particular biblical text. Now, let me just stop right here. I think one of the major issues that impacts how we read any biblical text is that we have adopted all of these other things and how we view things, a political viewpoint, a nationalistic viewpoint, a geographical viewpoint, a personal viewpoint, a family viewpoint. And then we bring that to the text and we read the scripture that way. I think many within the church saw what was going on during the pandemic, bought into a conspiratorial idea. Oh, I don't believe this is all lie. It's all hoax. This is all being utilized to take away our freedoms. And then immediately said, because it's not real, it's not that serious. Romans 13 no longer applies. I don't have to follow the rules. It was the pandemic that changed the people's view of Romans 13. And it shouldn't be the pandemic changing people's view. It should be something within Romans 13 that changed people's view. But it's amazing how you can find something in Romans 13 to change your view of Romans 13 when a situation seems to motivate you to do so, right? That is problematic. They go on to say, an adequate, an adequate case study of the phenomenon is the interpretations of Romans 13, 1 through 7, a text that has been used to justify everything from utter obedience to a totalitarian regimes to unquestioning support of harsh anti-immigration laws. These seven verses from Paul's epistle to the Romans have been grossly abused at numerous points since their original composition. Now, I think that there is probably a good argument there that it has been abused. I I tend to see that for the most part, it was never that controversial other than these certain times. But throughout church history, if you want to go further back into church history, yes, I will say Romans 13 has been used to justify a lot of things. But the Bible as a whole has been used to justify all kinds of things. But my question is, how is Romans 13 being used today? And is it being used correctly? Or is it being ignored Correct, uh, based off, you know, complete right understanding. Um, they go on to say, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul exhorts the Roman believers to apply his previous commands towards love, Romans 12, 9, harmony, Romans 12, 16, and peace, Romans 12, 18, and the context of obedience to government and the payment of taxes. Now, that's pretty interesting. That in Romans 13, Paul's exhorting the Roman believers to apply the the command towards love, harmony, and peace in the context of obedience to government and the payment of taxes. That's, That's pretty interesting, and I think it's very worthy of our consideration. We need to go back and see, hey, how does those commands in Romans 12, how do they fit in with this now idea of obeying government? Far from being a comprehensive condensation of the apostles' beliefs regarding any and all government, past and present. This passage is a specific and historically conditioned pastoral address to the Roman believers, discouraging them from political unrest, disobedience, and rebellion in order to protect their testimony and the effectiveness of the Roman church in the gospel mission. This thesis will be proven by appealing to the historical context of the original audience and the overarching context of Romans 12, 9 through chapter 13, verse 20, in which this passage rests. All right. Now, he goes on to begin to 
uh, prove his thesis. I want you to re- read his thesis. I like that concept a little bit. That Hey, the historical context is, hey, believers in Rome, your relationship to the government has to include these other concepts of love, harmony, peace, and these things. But um, you're doing this to protect your testimony. Now, I would just argue if we apply this concept of church and state, Romans 13, our understanding of the government, just, just think this through. How have we, how has the response of the American church in the middle of a, of a global pandemic, I know that's redundant because a pandemic by definition is global, but a global pandemic, how has the reaction of Christians during a global pandemic to government mandate, government actions, and to the and to the pandemic itself, how has that boosted our testimony and our ministry and witness to a lost and dying world, or how has it hurt it? How has the subject of church and state, and how the church has acted towards the state during a global pandemic, how has that made our witness more effective, more glorious, more powerful or how has it absolutely hurt us and damaged our testimony and hurt our ability to minister to a lost and dying world? I think that is a brilliant question and I'm glad that this article at least brings this up. Now, I want you to read the article for yourself. I want you to use discernment. I want you to question and I want you to think everything through and you can read the introduction for yourself. I skipped some words there. I think I skipped a couple of words in the introduction. So I just, I just, because I was just trying to give you the basic idea. So that was kind of like a, that's a, like a kind of reading, kind of skipping there. So I, I didn't, it wasn't a, a perfect quote of everything. Read it for yourself. It, you can find it at theologycentral.net. It's the, it's the newest blog article and just start thinking it through, thinking it through because when we start talking about church and state, it's inevitable we have to deal with Romans 13. And the very first paragraph of the London Baptist Confession of Faith uses for the scriptural support, Romans chapter 13. I mean, go figure. I mean, that's where everyone goes to. And it has to be considered. What is frightening to me is how can a passage like Romans 13, and I know I'm naive and I know I'm stupid, but man, sometimes it's just like, can we agree on anything as the body of Christ? We don't agree on baptism. We don't agree on the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on anything. Can we at least in the middle of a pandemic Agree on Romans 13? Do you think we could do? No, no, we can't. All right, I'll stop right there. Yeah, I see, I didn't even, you see, I'm kicking myself even more now because we didn't even finish the London Baptist Confession of Faith, <laughs> which is the very first thing the 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 Free Grace broadcaster addresses. Well, they just quote one paragraph from it, but we're, we're gonna work through all of the paragraphs and then we'll move on to the next article. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm gonna go through all of the articles, but I'm going to at least just bring up lots of questions and issues um, and just this is going to kind of be more just like a free-flowing kind of conversation more than like this s- series that's supposed to have a clear start, a start point and a clear stopping point. It's just going to be more like, here are these issues, let's think about it. And then go read the Free Grace Broadcaster and go read, well, that article and then you can you can do your own struggling and debating with it. I just know that what you have to do, and I'll end with this, you cannot think about the world from a political, geographical, conspiratorial, family, nationalistic perspective. 
We've got to think about everything in the world from a theological and biblical perspective. We need to make theology the priority again. We need to make the Bible the priority again. We need to put that, we need the Bible first, theology first. We need to get a biblical-minded approach to every aspect. That's why I call this theology central, because I try to make theology central to whatever we discuss. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I think I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to be lazy today. I'm all, instead of doing any more uh, broadcasting, I think two hours of broadcasting on New Year's Day, I think that that's, I think that's sufficient, maybe. I, I would like to do more, but I, I do have to transition now because I got to uh, start focusing on getting ready for tomorrow and for church. We'll be live broadcasting, as always, tomorrow morning, starting at 10, 10 a.m., and then 11, 20, 25 a.m. for the morning sermon. Don't know what we have planned for Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, but we're going we're gonna to just start off 2022 with doing as much as we can. I do appreciate the listener who uh, sent me their, I think maybe... I I I I wasn't paying attention, and I mean, I get so many emails. Sometimes I'm very busy and distracted. But I believe maybe the person who sent this to me was the person who wrote it. I think possibly, and if that's so, that's really, 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 really awesome. And I definitely want you to read it because, well, I think it's I, I like us to hear hearing all perspectives, and uh, I, I've I've talked a lot about Romans 13. I've I've reviewed some sermons on Romans 13. That I thought were horrible train wrecks. I mean, you know, the the sermon that was aired on Romans thirteen from uh, and Dr. James White's ministry. I mean, I, I have nothing but respect for Dr. James White in so many areas, but man, he has turned so in many cases. I, I just think that like the old Dr. James White would have never accepted a sermon like that on Romans thirteen. But when when all of these other considerations get involved, but that opens up a whole another door. Just put it this way: there's a lot of Christians who the way they approach Romans 13 in the past changed dramatically because of the pandemic. Now, again, why did the pandemic change their view of Romans 13, or did Romans 13 change? What's the motivating factor? I think that's a very important question. So I do like the approach: like forget the pandemic. Let's look at the context of Romans 12. How does that apply to Romans 13? And look at the historical context, then derive the meaning from the text. Forget what's going on in the world right now. Let's just look at the text. I like that approach. So uh, you can read it and we'll talk about it. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Have a great first day of 2022. We will continue working on the subject of the state and the church, the church and the state over the next few weeks. We won't try to spend too much time on it because we've got lots and lots and lots of other things that we're doing. And remember, the Bible study exercise for this week is Micah chapter 5. It's I know we're kind of starting the week a little early, but I'm trying to get you prepared. So Bible study exercise. Remember, there's Bible study curriculum. Um, if you if you want to be a part of our Bible study exercises, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and always look for new episodes of the Bible study exercise, which there'll be new ones starting tomorrow, which is the official start of our study of Micah chapter five. We'll probably start with book background study on the book of Micah because we need context. We need history. We need background before we can try to interpret Micah chapter five verses one and following. All right, everyone have a great day. Enjoy your New Year's Day. God bless.